This podcast is offered by Hakkabai Zen Center on the web at hakkabai.org. Our programs are made possible by the generosity of people like you. Tonight I'd like to talk to you about what it's like to spend some time living on the moon. <laughs> it would make as much sense as me talking about enlightenment. <laughs> so I can only share with you some of personal thoughts that go here and there about the subject. Uh, well, first of all, when I, I hear, if I were to think of an enlightenment, I first think about the enlightened part because the, the, the month doesn't mean much to me. What is a month? <laughs> it's enlightened. To me, this... Uh, brings up an image of being in a very completely black room and then flipping a light switch and all the lights go on and suddenly form appears and I see everybody there and I have a relationship with in one way or the other with everybody there and the environment's there and pretty soon I'm attached <laughs> and this is, and the story goes on, right? So Enlightenment sounds like it's the beginning of the end. Uh, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's the gateway to samsara from that point of view. Enlighten. Um, light is the, the core part of it, right? And N, like shorten, lengthen. To make, to make light, and N is like engrave, uh, to apply, to put pressure or put uh, weight on something. Uh, so to apply uh, and create light, enlighten, something like that. A curious part about it is that, uh, of course, Mahayana is the school that has no goal. If you're sitting with even the slightest trace of a goal, you're not sitting correctly. And yet the goal is enlightenment, right? That's why we're all sitting, so that we can get enlightened someday. And it switched from nirvana when they got to Mahayana. Why is that? People got tired of nirvana. <laughs> they wanted something else, more entertainment. So they wanted enlightenment. Is that beyond nirvana? Well, for me, enlightenment has been a, uh, a compelling subject. It's, it's something that's had a great deal of influence in my life. And the way I see it is that uh, it's some really, really distant place that 
gets a little bit clearer the more clutter I clear out. Um, so it, it has its own, doesn't matter whether it's there or not anymore, because the process seems to be all there is. You take a look at uh, how your mind is put together, And then you dehabituate it. You let go of old habits. Not easy. It's not easy because the, about the only way to do it is to re-experience them many, many, many times. Retreats are the best way to do this. You get some old habit that's driving you crazy, it'll drive you out of your mind in a retreat, which is what you want. <laughs> Then it goes away, and it stops coming back and haunting you. Mm. But then there's a, a gazillion others that come up, you know. This is just one of an endless number of them. And we talked about karma. It's, they crop up, too. New ones come up. It's not like there's a set list that you deal with in your life, and then... You're all cleaned up and you can go to nirvana or choose enlightenment if you want. But instead, the list keeps growing as you get older because the karma from previous actions in this life particularly, I think, and from past lives. The past life karma, I think, really affects the way the first four years or seven years of your life, who you're born to, how you're raised, the opportunities you have to hear dharma, to hear something that is liberating, the, uh, whether you're too rich or too poor and carry all of those stigmas around with you, it, those are really important when you're young. But as you get older, you suffer a lot more from what you've done in your life. And all of the problems, I mean, one of the things that I think every single Buddhist school would agree about the, in terms of a quality of enlightenment is that it's non-relational and non-discriminatory. So it, the, mind, the enlightened mind doesn't have plus and minus, good and bad, black and white, arrogance, jealousy. It doesn't have male, female. It doesn't discriminate between them. It has them because it's, it's extremely precise in discriminatory Awareness, discriminating awareness, wisdom is, is manjushri. That's the clear mind, sees clearly what's going on. Because you come closer and closer to see what's going on as you get rid of, as your practice becomes liberating yourself from old patterns and new ones that sneak up on you. Um, So, you know, it's hard for me to imagine what would happen if you actually got to that final state. Now, this sort of progressive view of things, I think, is, is uh, validated in, in the Ten Bumi system, right? Something like that. Something like that. So, something like that. Not exactly, but it's something like that. 
So what is this business of sudden enlightenment that you hear so much about? You know, the Rinzai people, they're often heard from the distant mountains screaming, I'm enlightened! <laughs> I got it! At last, I got it! I got it! Good, I hope it goes away. <laughs> uh, let me finish first. Okay. Um, to me, there's two things. There's awakening and there's enlightenment. This experience, Kensho, is, or Bodhi, is awakening. And, and that is a very common part of almost every religion as a beginning point of experiencing the, the spiritual dimension of life. Like in Hinduism, in, in the Shivite uh, monastery I was at in Kuai, they call it Shaktipat, where you get a blast. God comes and goes, pow! And you go, oh, it's real. It's real. And from there, you go to work. You go to work for the rest of your life. And this is what this awakening is about. It's something that it contains not only that dimension, but also the awareness that somehow you've got your whole life backwards. Everything you believe is the opposite of what you thought. It's ultimate confusion. How? Could that be? So that begins this journey. That's the beginning, the awakening. I've got to find, I've got to find my way. I've got to find how to know. How do I know what's real? If that's important to me, and I think it's important to all of us. If, if who we are is based upon some reality that we've contrived, Let's hope that it was a real reality instead of just a complete figment of your imagination, which it probably is. So this is the journey to enlightenment, is giving up the inherited baggage, the baggage you've accumulated through all your bad actions, your bad thoughts, the things you said that were not helpful, that were lies or delusions at best, the bad effect you had on people's lives, all the things that we do, we do. And a lot of them, we don't even know we're doing it until years later you see, oh my goodness, you know, I really had a bad effect on that person. Um, so, it's sorting through all of this and, and really learning how to transform the energy of each of those into bodhi understanding, into enlightened understanding, which is clear vision without the filters. And there are different ways of working on that. One of them is giving up discriminatory mind. Seeing things clearly, seeing what is black is black and what is white is white and what is red is red. And that this has a taste that tastes like it's going to be very healthy for me and this has a taste like it's going to kill me. But Buddha ate the poisoned meat. 
to show us, to show us that you don't discriminate. Someone gives you something, you eat it. This is the hardest part, to give up that mind that uh, likes this and dislikes that. It's based on, we talked about the primitive mind, the limbic mind. It's based upon uh, basic decisions that you have to make early on. Like uh, things that taste sweet are probably ripe, and things that taste very awful and bitter are probably not ripe yet. And so you, you learn to sort for what's sweet. Of course, what's sweet among wild berries is sour by today's standards. But yet our, our taste for sweetness goes on and on and on and on and on. More and more sweetness because that's good from the primitive mind. So now we face that sort of mind and that sort of mind in, in all respects. So how do we how do we not like saying we talked about anger people believe more you know if you feel like you're a victim of somebody that somebody's come in with a shotgun and killed your whole family, it, it would be almost impossible not to feel anger about that. And yet we know that the actions that come from that angry mind never bring any benefit to anybody whatsoever. We can say that from the outside, but try not to feel that anger. So what do you do when you come up to those, those situations? One, I think it helps to know what these emotions are and how they operate in you by investigating your own mind. And you can do this by calling up situations when you got angry. Uh, somebody cut you off when you were driving and you just lost it. Or whatever it happens to be that it could be when you were a lot younger, you might not have been angry now because you've been practicing for uh, 22 years. Uh, but... There must be some place where you were angry and you can recreate that memory and, and see, see what it's like. See, see what triggered it, what preceded it, how, how it works. So that when it recurs in you, you go, oh, there it is again. And you don't have to go through what you went through last time because you've investigated it and you've cut it in its That's what the precept is. That's how you do it. They're all like that. You have to get to the root of the issue. And they keep coming. And the naughtier you are, the more they come. That's why I'm buried. Now, the, if you read, you know, in all the texts, enlightenment is associated with all kinds of qualities, uh, miraculous ability to see the future, for example. Coburn had that ability. He could see uh, 20 years ahead, 100 years ahead, 200 years ahead, exactly how something would evolve. And, he also had the psychic ability to, to read minds. I, I never had to talk to him. I would just be embarrassed to look at him. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, then Tibetans that can 
put the imprint of their hand in stone. And a lot of these these things can occur. But uh, so what? The fact is, the more you deal with what appears and what is, the clearer your life becomes and the happier it becomes. And in the Lotus Sutra, uh, Buddha talks about enlightenment. He says it, that it's uh, he created them like a carrot for a donkey or something. Uh, this is what gets people going. If you didn't have enlightenment, they'd be lazy and they wouldn't work very hard. And so I created. He he says it is it's the chapter where he declares what a big liar he is. He's been lying to everybody his whole life about absolutely <laughs> everything because you have to. You have to lie or people don't do things. You know they don't they don't get out of their mess unless you you pull them by the nose and you have to you use lies to do that. So this is definitely against the precepts, but that's why he. Confesses. He's confessing all his, his whole life has been a big lie. Um, so enlightenment made, I don't know if it makes a difference whatsoever whether there's enlightenment or not. The fact that things, that your life gets better, that you begin to see what's going on. And you see, the every year you see clearer and clearer what's going on. And what that means changes as time goes by. And it's all good. It feels so good. It's like, uh, you know, you look back at the pile of junk you left behind, you know, could fill up the whole <laughs> landfill. And you it's a little bit cleaner up ahead. And it may take many lifetimes too. If there is enlightenment, it doesn't make any difference from that point of view, because what's the rush? I mean, if you're having fun, that, that's another thing. Uh, 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 and when Yoshiko was about four years old, she was sitting on Coben's lap, and uh, she sa says, why do bodhisattvas come back? And because they're having so much fun. <laughs> uh, I think I've taken up my time. No, please go on. This is wonderful. I have nothing to say. <laughs> I have nothing to add. I have a little bit, but not that much. Oh, I'm sure you. Well, I, you said something. That the reason they come back is because they have fun, and the material that we study, we have an acronym for fun. It's being fulfilled through understanding the no thing. <laughs> That's fun. So I said, "Are you having fun?" I said, "Well, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. Thank you very much." <laughs> so fun has never had the had the normal definition after I learned really? what the acronym was about. Yeah. Nate, did you have something you wanted to add? Yes. <laughs> um, he's been itching. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why I'm <laughs> scratches it for him. Um, well, it's kind of a big subject. Um, but specifically in reference to the sudden enlightenment versus the gradual enlightenment, I think I remember reading in Jungkook Kong Krul's Treasury of Knowledge that sudden enlightenment is, it's not 
it's referring to the same enlightenment, but it's just so the enlightenment is presented from the perspective of the fruition and gradual enlightenment is presented from the perspective of um, where we are now. Then there are stories of people like this expatriate who had a very sudden he was chopping wood and heard the Diamond Sutra and suddenly was enlightened. Um, that was sudden. And uh, explanations like... Uh, Actually, I have that here. Oh, you do? Yeah, I wanted to talk explanation. about it. Yeah, why don't you yeah. talk about that? Because this story, the Platform Sutra, is what I love it besides the Lotus Sutra and the Diamond Sutra. Anyway, uh, and the story is that, that Wayne Inn was coming to the market and he had wood because he was selling wood to to take care of his mother. And he heard the Diamond Sutra being chanted. And this is my, this is Akrasan's version anyway. And so he said, what is that? Because something moved him. Something inside moved him. He yeah. said, I don't know, but if you go to this monastery, they'll teach you. And so he takes makes provisions for his mother to be taken care of. He goes there and he, of course, has an interview with the abbot. And during that interview, the abbot senses that this, this uh, ignorant, illiterate man knows, but he doesn't know that he knows. And so he sends him to the kitchen to polish rice. And as the story goes, the fifth patriarch was getting ready to pass on his robes and bowls. And, and the way they did that, he said, uh, please write a poem that explains the essence of mind. And so the senior monk, you know, everybody thought had a training, you know, clearly. So he wrote a version. And this is the version that says, the body is a Bodhi tree. The mind is like a standing mirror. Always try to keep it clean and don't let it gather dust. So Wayne in, of course, couldn't read, but he said, what is this? He heard about this contest. He said, what is it? And they read it to him. And he said, please write this and put it up there. His comment was, Bodhi doesn't have any trees. This mirror doesn't have a stand. Our Buddha nature is forever, forever pure. Where did we get this dust? <laughs> and of course, then the abbot, the fifth patriarch, sees this and calls him in and then explains the Diamond Sutra at that time. And that's when he had his great, great awakening at that time. And of course, when the monks heard about this, that the bowl and the rope has been passed on to weigh in, they went into an uproar because they felt somehow that they had cheated. He had manipulated the abbot. And so the abbot told him to take the robes and go run away and go hide and mature. And he got, I guess he did for a couple of years or something like that. And they came out and gradually taught. Yeah. But the, what I wanted to share with you, I was, I was looking at this this, this afternoon, this evening, because it, you get the impression, I certainly did for a, a lot of years, that the first explanation that is somehow negated by Wayne Inns. And what I discovered in this was that the first one, the body is a Bodhi tree, the mind is like a standing mirror, always trying to keep it clean and don't let it gather dust. The explanation that I read today was reverse the constant practice of endless manifestation of being a Bodhisattva. Constant practice, day in and day in, day out. Where Wayne In goes on to explain that this has to do with this has to do with, with emptiness. What Wayne Inn is pointing to is the emptiness. So you get both sides of the equation. So one is, is actually just an elaboration of the first one. And it puts balance then between the two. 
the constant practice and the insight into the absolute. The first one is a constant practice, the second one is the insight into the absolute or emptiness, if you will. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Hakkabai Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Hakkabai and how to give, please visit us on the web at hakkabai.org.